Welcome to the podcast. We do recover with Jared Miller, your host. And I'm Dr. Terry Sellers, your co-host. This is a podcast about recovery from addiction. We want to talk about what successful recovery can look like. Brought to you by High Desert Counseling, Rise Up Supplements, and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. We are back. We are back, baby. After taking two weeks off, we are back in the studio here for episode 118. I'm super excited, everybody. Today, I have an amazing human being sitting in the studio with me. She goes by the name Shantae Colvin. Shantae, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing really good. Doing really good. I actually get the opportunity to work with Shantae. So this is kind of going to be like a hybrid. Shantae's going to tell her story. It's also a little bit of like get to know the High Desert Counseling Staff Series. Yeah. Yeah. What do you do for High Desert, Shantae? Um, I do client relations. So there's a combination of things that I do. Um, I do case management. Um, I'm a certified peer support, so I do that as well. Um, I teach educational groups, and um, I do an intake process, too, for clients coming in. Hashtag rock star. Yeah. You do it all. You, you really do. Yeah, like, it's it's crazy. You know, you, you're you definitely one of the leaders there, and, and you do an amazing job. So Thank you. I'm excited to have you on today. I've actually never heard your story, like, all the way through. So I I am very excited. I'm very excited to share this with all of our listeners across the United States. So thank you guys for joining us for episode 118. It is brought to us by High Desert Counseling. High Desert Counseling is a progressive substance abuse treatment facility with a practical approach. They offer day treatment, morning and evening IOP, continuation of care, and Prime for Life programs. Check out their website at highdesert.help or give them a call at 435 673 2899. Their facilities are located in St. George and Cedar City, Utah. Episode 118 is also brought to us by Rise Up Supplements. Rise Up Supplements is a nootropic line aimed at optimizing brain function and supporting mental health. They have two powerful blends. Mindful Mood helps decrease anxiety and enhance mood. Mind Shift helps increase focus and optimize brain function. Order your, place your order today at riseupsups.com. That's R-I-S-E-U-P-S-U-P-S.com. At checkout, punch in podcast 20 to save yourself 20% off. We appreciate both of those agencies sponsoring this podcast. So we usually start off with like some power of now stuff, some positive psychology. Okay. So I'm going to hit you with it, Shantae. What is new and good in your life? Oh, let's see. Okay. Um... I think something that's always good and new in my life is, well, I have a huge process of healing. And so like things are always changing in that aspect and that's new. Um, I'm also starting a journey with going back to college and not like talking about it a lot, but (laughs) yeah. So it's things that are important to me, right. For my, my personal growth, for my future, things like that. Um, I have a really good life today. You know? I think I tell you, like, at least once a week, you're basically already a clinician. You just don't have the right paperwork. <laughs> I, know, I feel that way. <laughs> so she does a great job with the clients. She does a really good job running group. And so every every week I'm like, man, Shantae, you're basically a clinician. You just need the license. I know. Like, so it's cool that you're going back to school to do that. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. That's super exciting. What about you, Denovan? What's new and good? I don't have a microphone today. <laughs> <laughs> so if you guys could see the studio, this guy's been working hard at uh, making some upgrades and some changes. So we appreciate Sean. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> there he is. The hands. Do that one more time. What, 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 is, what is this? It's like zombie hands. <laughs> awesome. There oh, you go. There There's the guy. Thanks. The man behind the keyboard. <laughs> Which brings me to a point. If you are watching this on Facebook... Just so you know, we also are on every major podcast platform, and we're also on YouTube. So check us out on just D, all the above. Yeah. Okay, so my new and good is going to be, I got got some announcements here. So coming up, we have Talent in the Park, and we have a recovery concert. The two headliners for these events is Joe Nestor and Kalichi. There's also some other talent that's going to be at Talent in the Park and a local artist um, it's going to be performing at the recovery concert. Let's just get to it. Their June 3rd is town in the park. That's going to be at 11 o'clock on Saturday, June 3rd. A recovery concert is in Southern Utah. So the opposite end of Utah, it's going to be June 4th. It starts at seven o'clock. Both of these are to raise money for either people to get into 
uh, treatment centers through Talent in the Park, um, as well as the recovery concert goes to the Sobriety Foundation, which, help, which helps people get into sober living. So if you haven't bought tickets, go to our Facebook page. You can you can get tickets to either event, whether you're up in Ogden for June 3rd for Talent in the Park or whether you're in southern Utah around June 4th, which is a Sunday for the recovery concert. I just want to thank a couple of the sponsors real quick. So our platinum sponsors for a recovery concert, uh, the Sobriety Foundation, is Extra Mile Chevron. They bought a platinum package. Thank you guys so much for your sponsorship. In the gold package category, we have Cloud9 Vapor. We have Fit to Recover. We have um, Acadia School and Spa. And then in the silver package, we have Coal Equity LLC, Rise Up Supplements LLC, and a real estate group called The Right Team. So again, just big thank you to those guys. Listen, I, I know oftentimes, like even this podcast, it wouldn't be possible without the sponsorships. So thank you to all of those organizations, whether you bought a platinum, a gold, or a silver sponsorship. Thank you guys so much. We appreciate the support. Trying to do some good, right? Yeah, we have to. Yeah. 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 Moral obligation. (laughs) Okay. That's my new and good. And I'm, I really am genuinely excited for both of those concerts coming up. Um, Shantae. Jared. You know, typically with these recovery stories, it's a whole lot of like how it was before, what happened and how it is now. All right. Are you Where do you want to start, girl? This is your story. Where do you want to (laughs) start? Okay. Um, so I'm, I don't like talking about, like, the huge mess of it all, usually, right? I will, I will like, say a few of the key points. And, and I think part of the key points is because, like, I know that these times in my life shifted me, mm. right? Um, maybe my recovery looks a little bit different because uh, if I only subs, like, if I only focused on my substance abuse issue for my recovery, I would literally only be taking care of the symptoms right? right that's that's genuinely how I feel and like um so my recovery looks a lot more like managing my mental health and um learning how to cope with my feelings and things like that the which root is cause of yeah. what a lot of people saw was the external stuff the substance abuse stuff right and listen girl I get it right I went and Todd Sylvester's podcast last weekend and I shared and the next day I woke up kind of with a vulnerability hangover. Yeah. So I always say like, <laughs> I'm not going to dig, share as much or as little as you're comfortable with. I want you to be proud of this thing when it's done. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, I grew up in Salt Lake. Um, I don't know why I was born there. I mean, there's obvious reasons why I was born there because of my parents, but like. Typically I, two yeah, people procreate. Typically. Yeah, <laughs> typically it's a story of two people. Um, but. You know, I I don't really enjoy Salt Lake City. I didn't enjoy the cold. I I don't know. I felt like I needed to be somewhere warmer, so I'm happy that I ended up here. But I was born we, in Salt Lake. We still Lake. love all you guys up yeah. there. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I love to visit. Yeah, and you can come <laughs> down and spend your money. Yeah. But but, but please go back home and yeah, you know, we don't want to go up there in the winter. The cold. <laughs> <laughs> We're I'm gonna not, get hate. Yeah. We're gonna get hate. Messages. I'm not really into. It. I'm just not. You know, but I I grew up there. I lived there my entire life. I've only lived in Southern Utah for. Uh, just over four years now and I love it here um so growing up my family was um it was hard dysfunction is that the word that I'm like dysfunctional Dysfunctional. right yeah um I had a mother with an undiagnosed mental health disorder Mm -hmm. um my real father um he was an addict himself but a functioning addict so as you, like you can only imagine how confusing that was for me to see someone get face every night get <laughs> <Sorry>. wasted <laughs> and then um be able to show up for work every day 6 days a week yeah. right it was really complicated for me to put that together in my head and for a long time i thought like I can do substances and show up for work. And this I is can normal. This is normal, right? That was not my story, just for the record, <laughs> right? But it was very confusing. Um, also, a broken home, right? It was, uh, there was um, brokenness. I'll just say it. This is just in its simplicity. Um, so my ability to cope with things, were it was damaged from the gate. You know, like looking at how other people coped at things was like a mystery to me. Um and so I first used substances when I was 15. I started sneaking cigarettes when I was 13, though, so okay. I could tell, like, you know, from a very young age, my real dad, um, he taught me how to manipulate, right? You're pretty. 
you can get whatever you want in life, Shawnee. That's what he called me, um, you know, and show you how to do that. And he did. And, you know, I thought that that was really. Were you like stealing the cigarettes for your dad? Is that kind of how he taught you to manipulate or just. I just like, you know, when people ask, like when you first started using substances. Yeah. Like I go clear. I mean, 15 when I started using like harder substances. But if like if I'm looking at like even before that, sneaking around. Nicotine is a mind altering substance. Exactly. So, um, but no, my relationship with my real dad was it was complicated. Right. I was a daddy's girl. I, I loved him. I still love him to this day. He's, he's gone now, but like, um, just taught me things that like, er, it's interesting looking back, you know, you're pretty, you can get whatever you want in this world. Don't ever forget that. Um, I carried that with me for a really long time. Um, so when I was, I was always interested in that. I was never the popular girl in school, right? I was more like the funny girl, you know, like that's, (laughs) that's like, where I found my people, you know, I like to laugh. Yeah, even in recovery, Shantae, you're like the party girl <laughs> still. Like even take away the chemicals, yeah. you're still the party girl. So yeah, I, I get it. Yeah, I, think, I couldn't. I actually am glad that we never, because I bet you, with knowing you now, and this is a compliment, so don't take it as a backhand compliment, <laughs> I, girl. I bet you were off the chain under some influences. Yeah, like yeah. I can't even imagine. Either that or you were just really calm. Yeah, I, I, I think it was. It was definitely the the first. The first. One. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, when I was 15, um, I met my son's dad um, and he he was very intriguing to me. Um, his parents were incarcerated at the time and he did a lot of drugs. And um, I don't know, I feel like I was I was drawn to him, you know, because it was different than I, anything I had ever experienced before. Um, and I wanted to know what that lifestyle was like, you know, Um so I started using heavier drugs at the age of 15 when I met him. Kind of just recreationally? Yeah, okay. recreationally in the beginning for sure. Yeah. Um, and drugs are sneaky that way, right? Like oh, they, yeah. they're really fun in the beginning. Um, I think it's interesting when people say like I use drugs so that I didn't have to feel. Uh, I've been doing a lot of thinking about that part lately and I think it's a lie. I think it's a lie. I think you still feel, right? Drugs are just an easy way to mask it. So you believe that you're not feeling anything. But when the drugs are gone, like all those feelings, those experiences, those memories, they're still there. Sure. You know, I would say it's a it's a coping. It's a way to cope. Yeah. 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 I'll have to think on that yeah. because that's an interesting. I actually like that. I, you know, I'll consider you. I, I like it. <laughs> yeah. But I totally no. I, I definitely totally subscribe to it, it. It's a way of coping or being able to maybe handle some of those feelings that you're uncomfortable with. Right. It's a way to change your mind. It's a, it's a way to change your mind. Yeah. And then when I got clean and realized that like, um, all the feelings were still there, all the memories, mm-hmm. you know, even things that I didn't remember, but my body responded to, mm-hmm. I knew that there was trauma and things like that. I knew that I yeah. didn't go for 18 years without feeling anything at all. So mm-hmm. it was really interesting for me when I've been thinking about that lately. Um, so I used heavy drugs, you know, um, I went, when I was 21, um, my real dad was, um, he was killed in a car accident for drunk driving and racing. I grew up at Rocky mountain raceway. My dream was to become a top fuel dragster racer. Like that's when I was younger, I wasn't the girl that put on all the makeup and you know what I mean? I was like, I want to be at the races and I want to be a race car driver. And I was kind of a tomboy in some ways, you know? Um, uh, so he was killed that, that kind of rocked my world. Um, was he killed while racing? Race racing on the freeway, and and they collided, and he hit a median wall, oh, broke his yeah. neck. Right, so um, they he was intoxicated at the time, so it was drunk driving. Okay. Um, uh, that rocked my world. You know, it it was interesting growing up. I was always told, um, so my dad's name was Michael Colvin. Um, I was told, no, you're Michael Colvin in the flesh, and so like mm-hmm. me comparing myself mm-hmm. to him all the time, and then those things happening, I. You know, I thought like, oh, like, what will my life turn into if I'm exactly like him? Um, and so that was really difficult for me. I didn't speak for like three weeks, you know, yeah. super traumatized. Um, you know, life went on for a little while. I got more and more into harder drugs and harder drugs. And I think that um, uh, I used to use, I mean, I used to use uh, cocaine with, with my real dad. I thought so it's in starting around your early twenties then 
is really when it kind of went from recreational to it sounds to me like it's becoming more of habitual, like an everyday thing. Yeah, exactly that. Okay. Um, Cocaine's pretty powerful. Right. I know some people can do it and then walk away from it. Other people, that mental obsession really right. get, gets its hooks in you and doesn't let go. Yeah. So I started using cocaine when I was 19, you know, into yeah. my 20s. Uh, so my dad, he died and then... Um, uh, for the next four years, um, you know, opiates. Um, I went through a lot of uh, abuse with my son's my son's dad and his family. And um, looking back, I tell myself like, I just became a product of that environment, right? That very violent, drug induced lifestyle that even they grew up in. Yeah. You know, um, and then I because I've done so much work on myself, I'm like, oh, but what was my part, you know? And I think it's a combination of the two, right? Like we have choice, you know, yeah. we can go into something with a choice, but I do think we also become a product of that environment that we choose to be in. And so I became very violent and very... You adapted. Yeah, I adapted. So my, my do you mind if I ask a mm -hmm. question? Yeah. So when your dad passes away and then you have this significant other in your life... And his family, did you feel, looking back, can you kind of see where maybe you started leaning into his family oh, to yeah. cope with the loss of your own dad? Yeah. Or is I, that? For sure. Like, I mean, I was living with his family when I found out my dad was killed, right? And so. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so you're 100% in that environment. Yeah, 100% yeah. already in it at that point. Um, I had a hard time. Uh, my mother's so important to me, um, but she had a hard time. She was the most... <laughs> nurturing person I knew I know when it comes to being a parent and a mother and she can be very she could be very cold too mm. you know so there's definitely some mental health stuff that wasn't diagnosed that um, in hindsight because I have a mental health diagnosis I can see myself in her right I can yeah, see yeah. my behaviors in the way that she was um, so yeah I relied heavily on his family not my own yeah during that got you makes sense yeah. So, and then, you know, in 2010, um, so this is like four years after my dad was killed. Um, me and my son's dad were together for eight years. We, you know, we had a child together. Yeah. Our son was, uh, three at the time. Um, and, uh, I moved out, I moved out. Like it just, it got too crazy for me. Um, our, our house got shot up. Like I just, I had to remove my child because, you know, those brief moments when you're using where like your sanity comes through, like they're very brief. Right. Mm -hmm. I told myself, like, you have to get out of this house. You have to go. Um, this is not safe. Right. Maybe the mother, your um, mother instincts kicked in mama bear. Yeah. And you're like, listen, for my son, this is not okay. Right. And I, and so I left. Um, and you know, even though I, I really loved my son's dad, um, he didn't really have a chance, you know, he didn't have a chance. And, um, uh, he was shot and killed over an altercation, um, in robbery. Um, so he was shot and killed in 2010. And I, you know, I look back and I tell myself like, you know, I was broken when my dad died. Mm -hmm. Um, but my whole world fell apart when Paul was killed. Um, I was 25 years old. Um, his family was broken too. I mean, it happened at the house. They were there, everybody except for his dad who had moved out also. And, uh, it's quite a bit of loss in a short amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I planned the funeral, right? Like they, uh, they couldn't do it. So at the age of 25, I think that that was traumatic. Like I learned how to absolutely. do all the things, direct a funeral, bury someone buy the things, you know? Um, so that was hard. I think, I think that losing Paul changed me. Um, I think a, a huge part of me died with him. You know, uh, I've been reading all this stuff lately about like, don't die with your dead, you know? Okay. And, um, and I, and I think I did, I think I did die with him. You know, I shut everybody out. I, I think some of that makes sense, right? Because if I can try to rationalize, cause obviously that's very emotional for you. Mm -hmm. So if I can try to rationalize that, it's like the relationship you have with uh, your significant other, you guys have a child together, you've been together for eight years, a lot of your identity is correlated or tied in with that relationship. So yeah, I can I can totally see that. Yeah. When somebody that you're that close to passes away, you don't really know who you are anymore because a big portion of your identity has been based on 
us, we, yeah, the togetherness. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I used that. That was my fuel. That was my fuel for my addiction. You don't know what it's like. You know, you've never had a significant other that's been murdered. You know, you never had to bury anyone at 25 years old. I know that there, now there's people in the world that have done that, not only me, you know, but I use that. I use that to keep everybody very much far away. Um, I didn't know how to show up for my son. I didn't know how to look at him without seeing his dad. And so I left, you know, I, I left. Um, I gave my son to my mom. Um, I was very much in and out of my son's life. I only have one child. And, uh, yeah, eventually she adopted him when he was seven, um, which I'm grateful for. I'm grateful for that. There was no way that I knew how to be a mother. I wasn't capable of that. Mm. Um, and yeah, when so you had a lot of your own stuff going on. Yeah. You know, I find it interesting though. Uh, uh, you mind if I take a sec yeah, here? Please. So I too have a lot of self pity in grief and loss in my story. And, and I hear a lot as a counselor of the same, it's right. A lot of loss, a lot of grief. The thing about self-pity is when you're in it, you don't see it. No. So you can look not. back today being away from it and go, oh, man, I was right. Yeah. Like I pushed people away. It was a lot of self-pity. I used it as an excuse to continue to use. But for the person that's in it in that moment, it's so it, it's real. It's very much real. It's really hard for you to see it. But I can remember the first time somebody pointed out to me like you are swimming in a self-pity pool. Yeah. And at first time I was, I was very offended, of course, yeah. but increasing that awareness helped move, help me move away from it. Mm -hmm. But I do want to kind of emphasize and pause here for a sec for those people. And you, the listeners probably know some people in their lives like that. It's very real for them. Be compassionate, mm -hmm. right? Right. Try to build some rapport before you point out to them, like you're swimming in the, the pity pool. Yeah. Get out and dry yourself off. Definitely don't disappoint it out to anyone. Because <laughs> otherwise they're just going to use it as an excuse to yeah. feel even worse more sorry for themselves and more separated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, I'm grateful for the hindsight. I'm really grateful for yeah. that. I'm um, looking back and knowing, um, w what kind of fueled like me pushing everyone away and leaving my child and all these yeah. things. And, um, you know, there, I, I don't, um, if I could go back, right. Um, it's not possible for me to go back, but if I could go back, I wish that someone would have just taught me coping skills. Yeah. It's that simple. Yeah. You know? Um, so so we want to make sure we leave some room in this for your recovery. Yeah. So when you say that you basically kind of just 86, you were out, right? Yeah. Um, you had a, your mother adopted your son. What does that look like from that point on? Um, so, it, you know, it took me a long time to get clean. Um, I lived on the street. I was homeless at the block. <laughs> so anyways, a lot of things down there. Um, I was a sex worker. I think that those things aren't talked about enough. I think that people think it's taboo to talk about. I don't think enough people talk about the, you know, all the means and methods. Shantae, not enough people are brave enough yeah. to talk about it. And I feel sad for that. I feel sad for that. You know, once I got in recovery and I did some work, I realized like by any means I was going to get high. Mm. I had so much more compassion for myself. Right. Yeah. And then I look back and I tell myself like, oh, you know, um, understanding that I don't have trauma from that just because I understand that by any means I was going to get high. Um, I could accept myself. I found self-forgiveness, which I really did. Um, and now I'm like cured. Right. And it's interesting going through life and especially lately. Cured from the shame of that yeah. period of time. Yeah. And like, and I don't feel shameful about it. Right. Well, you're not the same person today. Correct. Yeah. I'm not the same person. And, um, but you don't realize that. So I got this book that I'm going to start reading and it's called the body keeps the score. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's I'm on PTSD. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I didn't realize till actually really recently that like your body really does remember trauma, even if your mind doesn't remember it, right? Like the way that you react to things as someone walk in my office and shut the door and lean on it. And like, I started hyperventilating. It took me a while to figure out like what's going on, right? This is why I sleep closest to the door in every hotel room I'm in. This is why, you know what I mean? Like I have all these traumatic experiences that I might not be able to remember, but my body remembers. Right. So, um, I think that that part's interesting. Your subconscious goes, hold on a minute, yeah, red flag. Something's wrong. We, yeah. re we remember a situation like this before that did not have great results, Yeah. right? And yeah. it goes into that fight or flight mode. Yeah, exactly that. Um, you know, 
the the substances it's interesting so i'm a part of a fellowship right i love it all my closest friends today are 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 a result of that fellowship and uh yeah so i love i love the recovery aspect um for me personally though it's more important for me to we're gonna get right back to that shantae (laughs) after a short little break from our sponsors but listen you're lighting that microphone up girl don't lay (laughs) off we will be right back after this little break okay You are listening to We Do Recover with Jared Miller and co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. We'll be right back after this short break with more of We Do Recover with Jared Miller. Brought to you by High Desert Counseling, Rise Up Supplements, and the Hilton Garden Inn. High Desert Counseling is an adult outpatient substance abuse treatment facility. We offer multiple services including day treatment, morning and evening intensive outpatient services, continuing care, and Prime for Life. What makes us different is our emphasis on gathering all of the information before enrollment. We do this by offering a thorough evaluation by a credentialed professional. Once we have committed to you and you have committed to us, don't worry, insurance will not dictate your treatment. Lastly, the pretzel effect. We are a brief intervention where we connect our clients to community, mental health, and medical professionals to help maintain recovery for life after treatment. At High Desert Counseling, we strive to be the bridge from active addiction to recovery, community, and connection. We welcome you back to We Do Recover with Jared Miller, co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. Brought to you by High Desert Counseling, Rise Up Supplements, and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. And now with part two of our podcast, Jared Miller and Dr. Terry Sellers. Man, the first part of that flew by. (laughs) Holy smokes. So to kind of catch you guys up today, I have Shantae Colvin in the studio. She is sharing her story of recovery. I also work with Shantae. She's an amazing individual, just honestly one of the most genuine human beings I've ever met. Um, so far, she's kind of shared what, what led to her substance abuse and uh, some of the places that it has taken her. She ended very abruptly on <laughs> mention. No, it's okay. It was my bad. I didn't forewarn you uh, that we had a little break there. She was mentioning fellowship. We're going to get right back into it. Before that, though, episode 118, part two, is brought to us by the Hilton Garden Inn. If you or a loved one is traveling to or through southern Utah, give them a Google search. Type in Hilton Garden Inn in St. George, Utah. They have amazing amenities. It's always clean. It is always, like, you just walk in and you can smell that they, they, whoever clean. the <laughs> facilities people are, are on point, man. Like, it, it's just, it really is a great a great place to stay. So uh, give them a shot at your business. We appreciate the Hilton Garden Inn in St. George, Utah, sponsoring this podcast. So right back at it, Shantae. So so you were mentioning the fellowship's a big part of, of your yeah. healing, a big part of your recovery. It is. Um, uh, it gave me a way out, right? Like it gave me a way out. Um, I'm a spiritual person, right? So I owe my life to God, and that's really how I genuinely feel my understanding of a higher power. Um, I... If, you know, I, I worked the 12 steps and I found self-forgiveness because early on I knew that like I could not hate myself and stay clean at the same time. I knew that mm. very early on. And so I had to find ways to find self-forgiveness and that the step work helped me with that. The most important part of my life, though, it's it's not that I mean, it's it's a part of it. Right. The most important part of my life is um, the the work that I do. Right my ability to give back to others that are going through the same thing. And also like the relationship I have with my therapist, I've had the same therapist for, it'll be three, three years this year. Um, and those, that's, what's important to me. Right. Because I, I know, I know that like, had I had ways to cope with these things that have happened in my life, I might not have used substances, right? The substances were the solution. They weren't the problem for me. I was my problem. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in your environment. Yeah, in the I environment. Think that a big part of, of what I've heard in your story so far is the environment that we're in plays a big part right. in like our projection in life. You know, it, in other words, it's crazy to me that you started off, you, you said you kind of came from a broken home. So maybe, you know, you didn't have the best judgment in men. And that's not, I'm not judging you, right? No, but like it's the oftentimes, truth. Yeah. like you're, you're trying to recreate your familia or your family system when you're looking for a significant other. That's just facts, right? right. Like a lot of people, that's why they say you marry your dad yeah. Yeah. or right. Or for men, you marry your mom because yes. you're looking for similarities there. Um, so, but anyways, the environment that w- 
you hung out with your significant other and it sounds like was kind of chaotic and kind of yeah. crazy and there was a lot of substances yeah. which led to substance abuse and homelessness right. and some of the stuff you've talked about and then all of a sudden something may have something had to have happened because you're talking about recovery today right but think of the environment you have the fellowship you yeah. have your therapist you have a job that gives you a pretty decent income and I like did sober living at meaning. first too yeah yeah I had to do that what happened though Right. Like, how did you get here? So, <laughs> all right. I will, I will say really quickly, like, um, so the things that like shifted me and changed me, right. Um, when you're on the street and you're working in sex work and things like that. Um, so I was almost beaten to death in 2015, um, mm. by someone that I was dating. Um, yeah. Um, like within an inch of my life. Right. Um, that changed me in that moment. I was like, I can't live like this anymore. This, this is wrong. Right. And I desperately wanted to get out of that. Um, tried to move away from it, tried to get out of it. And you know, that world just kind of sucks you in. Right. Um, and then my mother died in 2017. Well, let's be honest. A lot of, I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> that was a terrible time to, no, to stop go ahead. you. I think when people are in that environment for any listeners that are listening, you have to have resources because right. you can't you can't think outside of what your normal is. And so unless there's some type of resource, or unless you know a way out and have support to get out, like you said, your environment sucks you back yeah. in. You lost your mom in 2017. Yes. You know, if if uh, if an organization like Soap to Hope existed in 2015 when I was doing all that stuff, I, I might have felt like I had a way out, you mm -hmm. know, Um I'm really thankful for organizations like that, the outreach that they do, the help with the sex trafficking victims, all those kind of things. I'm an advocate for Soap to Hope, and I, I love that part. I love what they do. Um, yeah, my mom passed away, and then um, about just less than two years later is when I finally got clean. I got arrested for the last time. I mean, I've been in and out of jail. Um, and someone from here who I used to use with in Salt Lake, he came and saw me in a jail when I was four and a half hours away from home and told me, oh, hey, like, I saw you on bookings and I just wanted to offer you a way out. Do you mind um, if I give up his information? His I, I love him. Yeah. Daniel Payne. Daniel Payne. Daniel yeah. Payne. Love that dude. Yeah. I will always be thankful to him. Someone who I completely screwed over in active addiction. Right. But he had found recovery before me and came and found me and offered me. He planted a seed, you know, those little seeds that it's oh, yeah. the, the work that we do. All we are is planting seeds, right? It's their job to water it and things like that. Um, and sometimes some of us have to, you know, shovel a few more shovels of manure on top yeah. of that seed, you know, and have a whole lot more uh, yeah. loss and grief and pain for it to start to yeah, grow. Exactly. But, but yeah. Um, you know, the first time he came, I didn't, I didn't take his hand, right? I didn't take the offer. I went back out for three months and I never felt like I was going to die in my addiction. I know that that sounds really strange to some people, but... I always knew, like, I have a purpose. I just don't know how to get out of this, yeah. right? I have no idea Felt what trapped. this yeah, solution is, right? Yeah. Um, got out in a three-month period. I overdosed five times, went back into jail, and then I called him. And I was like, I'm ready, you know? I'm really ready this time. Um, you overdosed five times? Mm -hmm, in three months. Yeah, so when I actually did start dying, I was like, <laughs> something's got to change. Yeah, yeah, right, right. So um, you had a number of eye-openers. yeah. And I think one of the coolest pieces is during that time in your life where you're like, listen, I do not like what's going on anymore. This is no longer fun. This is, this is not the life that I want for myself. Yeah. Somebody who had gone before you came back and offered a helping hand. And I'm so grateful for that. You know, yeah. it's the basis of, it's the basis of what we do, right? Like, Absolutely. let me show you a different way. Um, it's the so, basis of this podcast. Really. Yeah. I love yeah. it. Yeah. It's important work, you know? Um, it's very sacrificial work, like in terms oh, yeah. of like, is that the, I feel like that's the right word for it. That's how I think of it. Right. But I'm so grateful every day when I get to just share a little bit with, with the clients that we have or people in the fellowship or other recovering addicts or the woman that I helped through soap to hope. Like I'm so grateful for my experience. You know, I'm not angry. I'm not angry at the world or anything other than the world or nothing. I, I feel like I've been gifted a huge variety of experience, you know, to get me to this place that I'm at in my life today so that I could help a variety of people. Right. I think too, it takes 
somebody that's walked through it to be able to sit across from another individual and on purpose build a relationship, build rapport with that person without judgment, Mm -hmm. without fear. Like you would be surprised when I did intakes, when I was an intake coordinator, I would tell my family, oh yeah, I'm doing intakes. I go and I pick people up at the jail and I take them to rehab and they're like, aren't you afraid? (laughs) Aren't you like scared? And I'm like, no, these are my people, man. (laughs) Right? Like I, no. Yeah. But I'm telling for most people that don't really know what this looks like, there, there probably would be some judgment. There probably would be some fear. Right. So it's kind of cool that everything that you've had that's happened to you to this point makes you incredible at what you do. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. I really do believe that, you know, um, I, I went through a treatment facility. I did all three levels of treatment. I think you can get through treatment anywhere if you're actually willing, sure. you know, and if you're ready and I was ready, um, it's like, the old how method. Yeah. I know this is going to be cheesy. Honesty, Everybody just rolled their eyes. Open-mindedness, willingness. Give right? it to us one more time. Honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. And it is important. Um, so my recovery date is March 1st, 2019. Um, and um, I'm so grateful for that date and that opportunity and that I finally surrendered to a different life. You know, I go through life today and I think to myself, like, how... Um, how did I get here? You know, like, cause when I, when I moved here, I had nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that I had to do it on my own and I don't want to say that I was terrified. Um, I, I wasn't terrified. I felt challenged, you know? And so I chose to step up, you know, I can, I can get a job. I can take care of myself. I can do this, this, I can learn how to pay bills. I can build my credit back up. I can get a car, you know? I feel so like I manifested. Yeah, I feel like I manifested everything by simply telling myself, "Like you can do this, you can do this, you're gonna have this." You know, I can totally relate. I remember living at a halfway house in Layton, Utah, across from the mall. So great. And we had bunk beds. Me and my room, <laughs> my sober roommate buddy, right? Um, and he scared the heck out of me because he had tattoos from the top of his head to the bottom of his toes, and he just got in five years in in so the state prison. Comforting. And uh, anyways. It, but you know what, Shantae, I, I would say I was terrified. Yeah. I would lay in my bunk and I would put on music and I would think about the life that I have today. So I totally understand like the manifesting. Mm-hmm. But I do think that if I'm being completely honest, like some of us are terrified. terrified. Yeah. I remember when I graduated my outpatient treatment program, I went to the clinical director's name was Derek, a.k.a. the Iceman. Oh. And very nice. <laughs> yes, because he was cold hearted, man. He would tell you the truth. And I and and I you'd think I, I was ha- I would be happy because I no longer was getting supervision. You're scared. I was scared out of my mind. I said, dude, I don't know. How, I don't know how to do. I can't do it. How do I do this? Yeah. He said, get a sponsor. Go to a fellowship. Work the steps. Do everything that things. dude tells you to do. Yeah. He said, honestly, we're just a bridge. We've gotten you to this point. You need a tour guide for the rest of the way. Right. It's crazy how we are different people, very similar experiences. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's beautiful, though. You know, the opposite or the antidote to addiction is connection, and I really believe Mm. that. And we have to be able to connect with each other. We have to be able to hear things that we can relate to. And if you can't relate to the situations, I know you can relate to the feelings, you know? Yeah. Feeling alone, even in a room full of other people, you know? Um, feeling lonely, inadequate, all the different things. Um, Can you remember when it shifted for you though? Yeah. Because like I can remember, I did not want to go to treatment. Well, I did because the alternative to that was prison, right? So I'm like, yeah, let me manipulate this whole treatment deal, you know? And then I can say, honestly, for the first 90 days of outpatient, the entire reason why I stayed clean was because I knew I had to pee in a cup. Let's just be real, right? Like, but then... Like there was, my life started getting better. Like I went to work and somebody told me I did a good job and gave me a compliment. And like, I went to the gym and girls started looking at me again. And like, in other words, like, yeah, talk to me about that. What did that look like for you when you're like, man, maybe this is better. So I, I'll tell you, it was the first time that, um, I moved out of sober living and I found this room to rent and Facebook marketplace I ended up living with so um, post-treatment. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. After treatment. I mean, yeah, I had just graduated. And so now you have to move out of the sober living house, right? The ones that are attached to treatment. Um, I moved in with this couple 
Um, and he was a St. George PD officer. Get out of here. Yeah. For real? And she was actually, um, she understood like my background, right? The, the wife, um, they're still my friends today. Um, but that's where it shifted for me. I am no longer on the other side of the law, right? Mm. I am a woman in recovery. I work a legitimate job. I can pay for my own place. I have a car, right? And I'm living with a with a St. George PD officer. What? Like, I'm changed. I'm different, That's right? That's amazing. Um, yeah. And then getting my own place, getting my own thing. And for the first time in my entire life at the age of 36, right? <laughs> I had my first apartment yeah. of my own. Yeah. I thought that that was, it was life changing. You know, it shattered all these beliefs that I had about myself that, um, I'm not capable of anything except for selling my body mm. and, um, messing everything up and not showing up for my kid. You know, you created a new identity. I did. Yeah. I have to shed, you have to shed all the layers and all the beliefs and all these things. You literally get to recreate yourself. You don't have to, you know, you get to, Yeah. I tell people that all the time, you know, um, you could be any person that you want to be now right? That's the gift of being an addict and then getting into recovery, right? There's gifts to it. You get to recreate your whole self. You don't have to explain it to anybody. You just get to wake up and decide this is who I'm going to be now. Yeah. You know, and then just be it. And that's life changing, you know, like yeah. it's cool. It's cool that you had that experience. It's cool that you were able to, you know, make that transformation. And today you're giving back. And Talk to me about Soap to Hope because I, I'm not super familiar with Soap to Hope and what they do. And I know that it's a big passion of yours. It's a big part of your recovery. So you got the fellowship, you got your work, right? You got your significant other Yeah. in your life. You've been able to create this beautiful life. Talk to me about those organizations that are near and dear to your heart. Um, Soap to Hope is a nonprofit. Um, January Riggin, uh, she gave me the confidence to actually speak my truth about my past. She when let was me, this? Um, so this was 20... 22 she asked me to speak at her not for sale event and um i was terrified then <laughs> i was terrified then but i did it right i got to tell my truth yeah this is how i ended up a sex worker this is how i became a sex worker mm -hmm. right this is the trauma that i went through and this is who i am today and it's important to have a voice in that um, so soap to hope does outreach in Salt Lake city. They do. Um, was that like a public awareness or was that like a, a fundraising thing? How did that come about that you got to speak at their event? So she just asked me one day, I had a friend that was in active, like active addiction. Um, and she went up to Salt Lake and I knew that she was doing the same things that I used to do. And so I, you know, I reached out to January because January had contact with her at that time okay. and then told her, you know, I'd, it may be just something in passing, like in during text, like, yeah, I know because I've been there. That's what sparked the conversation. And then she asked me to speak at the not for sale event. That's cool. So they do outreach. They do safe, uh, safe sex kits, safe injection kits. They do hygiene kits. They work with substance abuse. They work with sex trafficking victims. So harm reduction. Mm -hmm. Okay. What was some of the other ones? So the harm reductions, like the safe sex kit, the safe using kits, mm -hmm. right? All that. Um, Needle exchange. Okay. Yeah. Outside of harm reduction, what else is it that, that the organization does? So they can help people get into treatment, things like that. Um, and then they help sex trafficking victims get out of their situation and somewhere safe. So they can pay for travel to get into a facility, things wow. like that. Yeah. It's really cool when you think about it. Um, that is cool. So if somebody's in that world, kind of like you, you mentioned, and, and you, they don't know how to get out, yeah. like you said, you know, they wake up one day and they go, man, this is, how did I get here? And how the heck do I get out? Right. They can reach out to soap to hope and they actually will pay for them to, to have like a hotel room and get into. Yeah. They can do things wow. like that. I mean, they have, um, their funding and things like that. Like I helped, um, I helped a girl here not too long ago, um, in January, let me help her because I was here in this area. Um, and I'm really proud to do that kind of work, you know, to help people get out of situations that they might not know how to get out of on their own. Sure. And listen, yeah. it's way more impactful when you go to them and you say, listen, this is a mirror for me because yeah. I used to be you. 
Yeah. To some degree. Right. right exactly. Yeah. Um, and everybody needs a way out, right? Everybody needs some kind of hope. Yeah. Some kind of message, some kind of, I don't know, inspiration. I also think that's part of what I'm sure keeps you clean mm-hmm. is when you go and you do that. Yeah. It's that 12 step stuff, right? It it's, is. It's giving back and continuing to carry the message. Like you can't keep what you have unless you give it away. Right. I totally slaughtered that, but you know the same. Yeah, right? I think you got it right. Yeah. So, so I, yeah, I can kind of relate. So I, I'm on a crisis line where if people call in with suicide attempts, yeah. suicide was part of my story. Um, I can get dispatched out and go like an intervention, right. To go talk yeah. to them. And it's crazy that like, yeah, I think that's a big part of like what keeps me clean is when you are face to face with another human being and you can connect in a way that very few people, listen, I'm not downplaying school. People that have degrees and certificates right. for intervention, I'm sure they are very good at what they did because they learned the ways. But if you have that plus you've walked through it, man, you can just empathize and connect with that person on a much deep, deeper level. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and I think that people need to feel like they're not alone, you know? We need to feel that. We need to feel that connection and understanding in order to heal. And I think that healing has to be done on purpose. You can't sit in a room of a fellowship meeting and get recovery by osmosis, right? (laughs) You can't sit in a treatment facility and get better just by sitting there, right? And I think that this is, I don't know, I'll say this. um, I think most people are afraid to do the work. Yeah. I think most people are afraid to do the work. Why? Because it's going to trigger feelings and emotions and things that they actually have to follow through for, with in mm. order to get to this other side, right? This other life and, and, and me where I don't harm myself. I'm not harming other people, not actively doing those things, right? I can make amends for things immediately. You know, the healing has to be done on purpose. And I think people are afraid to do that. When I got into recovery, I was desperate I did not care what it took. You want me to do all 12 steps? I'll do it. You want me to get a therapist and start working on trauma? I'll do that, right? I think that that's absolutely valid. I think there's also a degree of learned helplessness. Yeah. Because typically people that are in active addiction have had an enabler taking care of them and doing all the adulting. And I'm not trying to, listen, I'm please don't take this as disrespectful, but it's just the, it's the truth. Right. Like for, and listen, when I say those people, I'm talking about myself. You know, I had moms or wives or other people paying bills, right. you know, making me food, doing laundry, all the the type of stuff, let alone any of that emotional work you're talking about. Right. So I, I do think it's a combination of they don't want to do the work. And for a long time, they've had somebody else doing everything for them. And so yeah, there's uh, a degree of, of learned helplessness there. Yeah. I think that that's a, that's a huge problem, right? For a lot of people, um, they don't know how. And the truth for me, in my opinion, right? Recovery without the work is just abstinence, Mm. right? And abstinence, you're just white knuckling it and you can still walk around and you can still harm people and harm yourself, right? When I I had this weird idea when I got clean that everyone was the same and everybody wanted to be better, right? And then things happened to me and um, I'm not like playing the victim, right? Like, but, but people and things, yeah, happened to me and, um, and it opened my eyes, right? Like, okay, this is a direct result of someone not being willing to do the work on themselves. So it's not even about me. Yeah. The things that were done again, they're not even about me. You know, I felt comfort in that, you know, and it just fueled me to want to work harder. Well, it also shows that there can be behaviors regardless of the chemicals. Yeah. Right. Weird. Back on, (laughs) back on the whole, like doing the work and, and the learned helplessness thing. I'm not trying to be cheesy here, but that's honestly what I love about working at high desert is like we, take them by the hand mm-hmm. and like, check it out. Here's medical. Yeah. Check it out. Here's sober living. Check it out. Here's an independent therapist. Right. And here's these community resources. So we're actually taking them and doing like, it's like a handoff right. or a transition. And it's important. Instead of that kind of learned helplessness where, okay, everything's in house. Right. right. And then once you're done here, you're just completely done. And that's yeah. not bashing on anybody else. I want to be clear when I say that. I just really do believe in like the model and what we got going on. I think that it helps people in the long run. I agree with that. Yeah. And the only reason that I'm able to do the things that I do with and for high desert is because they've given me a platform to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. They've never held me back. They've always given me opportunities to grow. 
Um, and I think I really appreciate that part of yeah. the job, right? When you value someone, they show up differently. Oh, absolutely. It's strange, right? <laughs> it's a, in any relationship, yeah. you know, when you value that person, they show up differently. When you're kind and understanding and give them a platform for growth, they show up differently. They do different things. It's amazing to watch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I totally agree with that. we got about two minutes left here, Shantae. You're speaking to Shantae back in her active addiction days, her downtown. For those of you, she made a reference, the block. <laughs> For those of you that do not live in Utah and don't know what that is, downtown Salt Lake City is kind of a hotbed for all of the all of this stuff. So the Shantae that's still out there, you got a minute to talk to her. What would you say to her? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, I would uh, I would tell her that um, that there is a solution, that there's a solution. Right. Because I didn't know that one existed. Yeah. Um, that there is a solution um, that um, life could be different than this. Right. Um, you're capable of being a good mother, mm. which I know that I am today. Um, and that you matter. I think people forget that drug users, you know, abuse victims, sex workers, they all matter. Absolutely. You know, even the, you know, I find compassion for the people on the other side of it too. Right. Uh, there's this quote I'm going to tell you real quick. So it says, if we could read the secret history of our enemies, we would find in each man's life sorrow and suffering enough to disarm all hostilities. Man relatability, empathy. Yeah. I love it. Shante, again, I know I've said it several times. Thank you so much for being willing to come on here, share your story. Find Shante Colvin on Facebook. Send her some love. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us today on We Do Recover with Jared Miller. Help us spread our message of hope. Like, comment, and share. If you have any topics or ideas for future shows, please share that on our Facebook page. That Facebook page is We Do Recover with Jared Miller. If you or a loved one needs help, please reach out to us. Again, thank you for listening. Brought to you by High Desert Counseling, Rise Up Supplements, and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of its sponsors. This has been a production from a podcast studio.